Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton. And today on this edition of This Week in Business History, we're focused on the week of January 25th. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Hey, before we get started today, I have to recognize a massive loss that we've recently experienced. In our household, when it comes to baseball, we're passionate Atlanta Braves fans. Ted Turner had begun building his media empire in the 1970s. And one of the smart and savvy moves he made was acquire the broadcast rights to the Braves games starting in 1973, and they'd begin to air nationally starting in 1977. Starting first on his Atlanta-based independent television station, WTCG, Ted Turner would create Superstation, WTBS, a few years later, along with buying the Braves outright. I can recall plenty of TBS moments growing up, watching our beloved Braves. One of the voices that I listened to during those Braves games was Don Sutton, the pride of Clio, Alabama. Sutton had a Hall of Fame career as a pitcher with the Dodgers and would go on to endear himself to Braves fans everywhere as a wonderful announcer. Sadly, Don Sutton passed away last week at his home in Rancho Mirage, California. In addition to the loss of Don Sutton, the world lost a giant of a man just a few days ago as Hank Aaron, known across the world of baseball as Hammer and Hank, passed away last Friday. Hank Aaron famously broke the all-time home run mark that was long held by Babe Ruth, but he had to deal with vicious racism over the majority of his 23 seasons in order to get it done. Born in Mobile, Alabama, Aaron would grow up in a segregated neighborhood and has shared stories over the years of hiding under his bed from the KKK as a child. When he was just 13 years old, Hank Aaron would hear Jackie Robinson speak in person and that was all the inspiration he needed to dream about being a professional baseball player. Hank Aaron broke a color barrier of his own, as in 1953 he became the first black man to play for a minor league team in the South Atlantic League. Aaron would eventually break through into the bigs with the then Milwaukee Braves in 1954. The Braves franchise moved to Atlanta in time for the 1966 season, and on April 8, 1974, Hank Aaron would hit home run number 715 of his career to become baseball's all-time home run king. But Aaron had to endure a continuous tidal wave of hate to do it. Hate mail, death threats, kidnapping threats to his own children. And for that matter, even his own team didn't allow Hank Aaron to stay in the same hotels or ride in the same vehicles as the rest of his teammates. It's truly staggering when you stop to think about it. Hank Aaron would make his mark in the baseball world becoming a Hall of Famer on his first ballot in 1982, but also would go on to make his mark 
in Atlanta, Milwaukee, West Palm Beach, and many other communities across the country. There were no shortage of great causes that Hank Aaron would support, participate in, and make successful. A remarkable man and family. With that said, our deepest sympathies and prayers go out to the Sutton and Aaron families. Now, on a much, much lighter note on today's show, we'll be talking about the retail industry. In fact, we're going to be discussing the company that many call the first Amazon. Before Jeff Bezos came along, you had Sears, Roebuck, and Company. Stay tuned as we're going to discuss six things you didn't know about Sears. Thanks again for joining us here on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. When I hear the word Sears, my mind instantly flashes to Sears catalogs and the famous Christmas wish book. That's where we'll get started today. Because on January 25th, 1993, Sears canceled its big book, its catalog, which is where it all began. Richard Sears had founded a mail-order watch business in 1886. He met Alva Roebuck a few months later, and eventually they'd established Sears Roebuck and Company in Chicago by 1893. So number one on our list of six things you didn't know about Sears, the company's first tagline. Just like right now, you can get just about anything on Amazon.com. But back in the 19th century, the Sears catalog offered it all, prompting the company to market themselves as the cheapest supply house on earth. Not all that catchy, huh? Well, the catalog was some 322 massive pages by 1894, written just about exclusively by Richard Sears himself until his retirement in 1908. And those pages were filled with everything, clothes, furniture, medical supplies, home goods, bicycles, firearms, you name it. In fact, by 1908, Sears was offering what they called house kits. Your pick of over 400 designs of houses and the company would provide whatever was needed to build it. Some, or really all, assembly required. By 1940, Sears had sold over 70,000 homes. Number two on the list, the store's founder and namesake, Richard Sears, had not only retired, but also had died before the company opened its first retail store. The pride of Stuartville, Minnesota, Richard W. Sears retired in 1908. He reportedly had accumulated a net wealth of about $25 million by operating the mail order behemoth. But he had never planned to open a brick and mortar store. That approach allowed the company to keep overhead really low. But the company's growth depended on Richard Sears' sales and marketing genius. For example, the famed Iowization strategy. Richard Sears would ask its best customers in Iowa to distribute about two dozen Sears catalogs. Those great customers would earn commissions off what was purchased from the catalogs that they had distributed. This Iowization strategy worked so well that it was expanded to other parts of the country. Number three on the list of six things you didn't know about Sears, Richard W. Sears was one heck of a salesperson, but he struggled with the operational side of the business. In fact, it's been said that Sears' ability to drive tons of sales, but fail miserably on execution and fulfillment and management, well, that drove Alva Roebuck crazy. And Roebuck would leave the business in 1895, partially due to these frustrations. That was a huge turn of events for the company though, because it opened the door for Julius 
Rosenwald to buy into the business. Now Rosenwald had serious management chops and recognized the need for a new operational approach for the burgeoning mail order company. He would implement a variety of new processes that streamlined operations, reduced errors, and added capacity. That's a great thing because by 1906, Sears was averaging 20,000 orders a day. And just like what we see now with peak volumes that jump off the charts these days during the holidays, well, during the Christmas season, Sears volumes could jump up to 100,000 orders a day, 5x. With Julius Rosenwald on board, Sears was now poised for even bigger things. Speaking of Mr. Rosenwald, number four on our list of six things you didn't know about Sears. Had it not been for Julius Rosenwald, the company may not have made it past the Great Depression. Julius Rosenwald, who was born into a middle-class family in Springfield, Illinois, was already very successful before joining the Sears ownership group. He was a millionaire by the age of 33, and it was his personal fortune that came to the aid of the company, as Julius Rosenwald would loan Sears $21 million to help it survive the Great Depression that ravaged the United States. But Julius Rosenwald would use his accumulated wealth for other non-business pursuits as well. In fact, early on in his life, Rosenwald had decided to donate a third of his wealth to philanthropy. Perhaps one of the most critical projects that he was involved in was the construction of schools and libraries across the American South. Julius Rosenwald would meet Booker T. Washington in 1911, and it would open Rosenwald's eyes to the immense need of education and resources for African Americans across the South, and he would put his wealth to use right away. In the decades that followed, Julius Rosenwald would build more than 5,000 schools for African Americans and also provide for 4,000 libraries for the schools that already existed. In doing so, Mr. Rosenwald would help push the civil rights movement forward. Number five on our list, Sears gave birth to an insurance industry titan. Selling tires, and lots of them, has been really good to Sears over the years. It all started in 1925, as the story goes. Sears CEO at the time, Robert E. Wood, led a national survey to name a new brand of tires that the company would offer in their catalog and stores. Allstate was the winning response from consumers across the country, and thus Sears would launch that popular brand of tires. Before it was all said and done though, the Allstate name and brand would be used by Sears on a wide range of products, including camper shells, fire extinguishers, and even automobiles. That's right, Sears offered two Allstate automobiles in the 1950s, the Standard and the Deluxe Editions. Now in 1930, while playing a game of bridge on a train, Carl O'Dell told Sears CEO Robert E. Wood that the company should consider offering auto insurance by direct mail. Odell said that using direct mail, no commissions would need to be paid out as no salespeople would be needed. By April 1931, Allstate Insurance Company was launched by Sears. And the rest is history. Spun off by Sears in 1995 so it could focus on its traditional retail business, Allstate has become a Fortune 500 company and major player in the insurance industry. And all of that brings us now to number six on our list of six things that you didn't know about Sears. 
the company played a big role in the early days of the World Wide Web. In 1984, three big companies came together to develop a Videotex service. Videotex. Sears, CBS, and IBM joined forces to form Trentex. As Benge Edwards stated in a July 2014 article in The Atlantic, quote, the plan as conceived from a corporate standpoint was almost naively simple. The world's largest retailer, Sears, would provide online shopping. The world's largest media conglomerate, CBS, would provide content and information. And the world's largest computer company, IBM, would provide the underlying technology, end quote. But CBS would drop out, leaving Sears and IBM to launch the project, which they renamed Prodigy. Now, Prodigy did well for several years, but ultimately was surpassed by AOL, and it was eventually killed off as the internet really opened up connectivity to all by the late 1990s. Prodigy would be officially shut down in early 1999. Now, this Prodigy initiative is intriguing as it showed Sears' early interest in e-commerce possibilities. However, despite being somewhat of a first mover, the company never could really crack the code there. In a July 2020 article by Tricia McKinnon for Indigo Digital, there's a great quote to this end. Robert Hitu, research director with Gartner's retail industry services team, states, quote, what they missed was a second transition. They stopped producing their catalog the year before Amazon launched. What they failed to see was the next phase. They failed to see that, yes, the traditional catalog was maybe not the way forward, but the digital catalog would be. Theoretically, if they had the vision, they could have figured out how to move the catalog into e-commerce, but they didn't do that, end quote. Well put, and that failure to effectively compete despite the head start in the e-commerce landscape, well, that would set the stage for a massive bankruptcy and difficult times for one of the nation's most prolific and legendary retailers. Sears is down to 74 stores, 74 stores, as compared to almost 1,000 locations in 2018. But some of that empty real estate is being put to good use. In fact, it's being used in the coronavirus vaccine distribution rollout. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. Big thanks to you, our listener, for tuning into the show each week. Hey, be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnow.com. Friendly reminder, of course, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. Hey, be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton. Wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Be like Hank Aaron. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Hey, thanks, everybody.